Hi, and welcome to the Dewing Grain podcast. Dewing Grain are independent and local grain traders. From seed supply to harvest movement and storage contracts, they can offer you the best strategies to achieve the highest prices for your harvest. Each week on our podcast, we begin with the Dewing Grain Market Report, giving you up-to-date information and analysis, followed by the Farm Chat, where we catch up on agricultural issues with a guest or two, whilst occasionally sampling a beer, Andrew's favourite bit. So let's start with Andrew Dewing with this week's Market Report. Welcome to the Market Report. What follows are my thoughts or gut instincts on what the market is going to do. It is not an instruction to trade. Any decision to trade is yours. Right, everybody, it's October. 2nd of October is the week we're talking about. And, um, well, how exciting was last week? Not very. So the market is still kind of sideways to sideways and then down a bit and then up a bit and then sideways again so it's, it's hellishly boring farmers are very 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 busy unless they farm clay and I had an interesting um, the, the podcast walk last week was actually in Stoke Holy Cross courtesy of David Kidner who kindly took us round with a couple of his neighbours Adrian and Robert King uh, and they've all got their MAGA hats now which we're all very proud of and, yeah, he showed us a field, because he talks about boys' land north of the air and everybody up in North Norfolk has an easy life. And you sort of think, yeah, I'll stop whinging. And uh, we went into a field that he's ploughed, and it, it's like concrete. I mean, they actually they took a lump and they, they physically took it out onto the road and threw it as hard as he could at the ground, and nothing broke from it. It was complete concrete. And I said, how do you break that up then? He said, well, if you go in them with some dish, you just move the clods that way and then come back and move them the other way back again and they won't break up at all. You need to go really, really dry, which it's doing, and then get wet and then gradually break itself down and you'll get there in the end. But in the meantime, if it suddenly turns too wet, then you can, you know, you'll get stuck in the first 10 metres of the field. So it's a proper dilemma for those uh, those people because it's too dry and too bumpy, lumpy, and clod-like to, to plant the stuff. And it's, uh, there's a lot of people getting on in, in the north of the county on easier land, but it really is a problem for those, um, those guys with heavy land that turns into slop when it, when it rains for a few days. So a little bit of sympathy there. I actually kind of genuinely thought, I'm kind of glad I don't have that field to manage myself because it, it looked a bit... Yeah, I, I kind of got it, actually. So, you know, hands up. I, I understand a little bit more about heavy land now and the troubles that you guys try to explain to us, simple as from north of the river, you know, what your problems are. Anyway, so, yeah, podcast work was great. Stoke Holy Cross, Brook, all around through Shotsam. Very beautiful, very lovely. We went past the pub, which was very grown up. We had a cup of tea at the end of it, and uh, it was it was good. Good chat, good, good, lovely, warm, I mean, for history... Uh, or for recording's sake, it is the 28th of September, it's 21 degrees outside. The weather forecast for the next week is going to be in the 20s, which is well into October. That is unusual, so we'll pretend global warming is this is just a one-off again, shall we? Or, or shall we go, actually, this is getting a bit, uh, bit nuts, because it is so warm. Grass is growing at an incredible pace, everything is still green. We're waiting for autumn, and it hints at coming along and then disappears again. Anyway, enough of that. 
So, prices. The price of wheat hasn't really changed from last week. So I think I was about 175, 176 last week for Nov feed wheat. It's still there. And we would still pay 190x for May feed wheat. In my opinion, the market comes down in the short term because I cannot see anything that makes the market go up. We're uncompetitive. Farmers haven't sold it. And when they do come to sell it, I think the market will come down because there's more people selling it than there are going to be people buying it. Support in the market is coming from the north of England, where I guess the farmers are not selling anything, because goodness knows why they don't do that in the north of England, but they're not. And the premiums over futures are significant. The prices are much higher than down here. But it's, uh, it's not done enough money for me, lad. I'm not selling it at that. So that's what's going on. And when farmer participation actually occurs, as I say, that I think will have an impact on the price and take it to a new low. After that, hopefully, we'll become competitive export-wise. There isn't as big a surplus as people first thought, and then maybe, just maybe, we'll get a rally. But it's going to have to go through a little bit of a dark period first, subject to Vlad not uh, doing something new and exciting. Feed barley, still the same price, 160x. I told you it was boring. So what do you want to say about feed barley? There are boats on feed barley, so maybe that one will perk up in time. If you look at it, it's only £16 discount feed wheat. Pretty, pretty well, it's a lot tighter than it was. 170x for May for feed barley. Malting barley, that is really dead on its feet at the moment. But all maltsters are buying for the new year. They're just pretending they don't really want it and they don't really care. And it's like, oh yeah, we've got enough probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't believe you. I, I think there is an issue and I think you're going to come face to face with that issue probably in the Jan-March period when some farm grain comes to you and you'll be kicking it out left, right and centre. And... Yeah, and I think with the export that's going on, it's going to become tight. But right now, yes, let's all pretend you don't need it and keep using old crop like you are anyway till the end of October and then start using new crop and we'll see. I'm confident that the market will certainly not go down from where we've got down to. I mean, in values in round figures, 250x for Feb is about it. If you've got good quality low nitrogen spring barley, so it is a bit lower than it has been. But that isn't, I don't see it going down anymore. Oilseed rape, 348 for November, 365 for May. That's a decent carry, 17 quid. And harvest, 358 delivered store, which is pretty, pretty chunky. But we're of the opinion, and that market goes up nine euros and down 11 the next day and it seems to be quite happily being miserable as well we're going to be a net importer of aussie rape to go into the future does that mean that we should be a higher price i don't know it's just just export rb killing as i've said before and who cares about the uk farmer milling wheat 60 pound plus premiums for class one milling wheat with the right protein there are premiums for other uh, wheat varieties which the millers are beginning to pay premiums for the biggest issue being protein levels lots of the protein levels of the feed wheats we've got are not very high if you've got something with protein above 10.5 maybe we hawk it around a bit and there'll be a few quid for it you know 10 quid maybe premium so yep Oh, that reminds me, actually, on the feed wheat side of things, going back, if you were selling X store, doing grain store, that is, November feed wheat would be 187X, and if you were selling it X store for May, you would get the magical 200, but that's only because our stores are incredibly magic, and we get an extra £12 a tonne because we're so fantastic. Have I covered there's no exports? Yeah. Have I covered there's some barley? Yes. 
biggest influences on the week. Little note here, lack of farmer participation mentioned there. No, there's nothing else to say. It really is boring. Thanks for the guys who came on the podcast walk. Have a great week trading and uh, let's another Indian summer week comes ahead. So have a great time. Thank you for listening. Please remember that any decision to trade on this opinion is yours. The Dewing Grain app will keep you updated with real-time industry news, data analysis and insights into the market, giving you all the information you need to make informed trading decisions. A commodity selling feature enables you to source prices and receive direct offer notifications, informing you on what Dewing Grain are looking to buy and at what price. Search Doing Grain on the App Store or Google Play to download. And with all of these features in your pocket, you'll have more time to sit back and listen to our podcast. To set up a trading account with us, call 01263 731 550 or email info at doinggrain.co.uk. And now it's time for the farm chat. Right, today I'm out and about with Josh out on a farm in the very north of Suffolk with Richard Ling of Rookery Farm Limited. Hello, uh, Richard. Hello. Now, as any guest on the podcast knows, we don't know what we're going to talk about next, but we've got a recent newspaper article regarding yourselves. Do you want to talk a little bit about that for starters? Yeah, so the cocoa shell fertiliser trial has created a little bit of a stir, and we've had some fertiliser that's been brought to us from the Nestle Chocolate Factory, and we've managed to grow some wheat with it, Mm -hmm. which has all been quite successful. This is like, you're putting it on... At the same time you put nitrogen fertiliser on or you put it on early in the season and it releases it slowly or how does it work? Yeah, so this is all part of the fun. They delivered sort of eight tonne in these big bags, sort of slightly taller, bit like potato sacks, sort of tonne bags. And we were like, they're not going to go through a traditional fert spreader, are they? So they also wanted to understand, well, applying it onto a field, how well is that going to go? So we've been able to give them that sort of feedback and we discovered that a belt spreader, one that's normally used for lime or fibrofos, seemed to give the desired effect. We weren't going to get that in to do three separate applications because we were going to try and replicate what we would do like artificial fertiliser would. Mm-hmm. We were told that it was slow release, so we thought we'd test the theory. So we applied it in one dose at two separate rates, one rate was 50% of the farm standard, mm-hmm. so 105 kilos of N per hectare. And the second rate was 200 kilos of N per hectare. Okay, so the reading on coconut shells is what? 10% nitrogen fertiliser. Okay. There is other stuff within that, but some of that I'm not 100% sure. I mean, let's be clear, just for making sure every party's... Uh kind of well, not mentioned but just you know i mean nestle there's other people involved in the process isn't there do, do you know all the names of the other people that, that help supply it just to make sure we don't upset anybody yeah so we've got nestle cargill and there's i'm sure there's a couple of others but it's being done via the lens project which is how we've sort of got involved with it so for the unread what is the lens project so local enhancement network And basically, it's a platform that helps to bring... So as farmers, we can go on there and we can put forward what we would like to do in fields. So if we want to put a catch crop or a cover crop in there, Mm -hmm. we can select which fields we want to put a cover crop in the next autumn. Mm -hmm. And then we can put what we think it's worth. Okay, just again, for those we're trying to educate, for those who know this, I apologise, but catch crop, cover crop, those are phrases we regularly hear. So what is a catch crop? Yeah, okay, so catch crop, 
to me is uh, in the ground for a minimum term of eight weeks mm-hmm. uh, between two wheat crops is what, or between oh. a spring barley and a wheat crop. What does it catch? It's all the nutrients. So any nutrients that have been left in the field from the previous year and then soaks them up. So that's a good name, isn't it? Catch crop's a really good thing. Then you cover crop, that does the same thing over a longer period. Exactly. Okay. And it covers the ground for... Covers the ground generally right through up until November, December and into sort of like the Christmas period. And that's at the point where there's been quite a bit of learning experiences going on, certainly between myself and some of my other fellow people that are doing the same thing. Big discussions around when's the correct time to terminate for UK conditions because, as you can appreciate, all these things are weather-dependent. So what the weather does yeah. uh, I mean, dictates it, how fast or slow the cover releases those nutrients. No, because sometimes it doesn't release the nutrients. So this is the other bit that's a lot of information is now coming out in, is that not all those nutrients are going to come out in the first year. So because you've got multiple species in that cover crop, they're all going to break down and go back into the soil at different rates. So they will all release nutrients back at different rates. And this is the challenge and as a manager and I genuinely get quite excited about it because it's like brings a completely different dynamic to farming yeah, and that's really interesting isn't it it's yeah the dynamic of every single individual plant in there breaking down at a separate time will there ever be the science that understands totally what the hell's going on because it, it strikes me in theory there's one thing going to happen with a certain weather pattern and then that's thrown out the window by a 18 week drag in the spring and then yeah whatever should there be the science is the question <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, well, got to give us something to do, haven't we? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you are the science, aren't you? Here we are trying to discover something that, that kind of instinctively, I guess, people in the past did, and then we've learned how to farm out of a can and have fantastic quality and yield and all the rest of it. It's clearly not the right thing to do for the soil. We're still learning. The whole generational thing has got to change. We've got to see things differently. But mastering it is going to be impossible. It's a challenge, I think, would fry my little brain. Is there a value in that? And as a, as a farmer, can I get a reward for frying my brain? <laughs> <laughs> for the management? Yeah, well, in, in the end, I, you know, that's a really good point. We had that point in last week's podcast where we had a conversation about the government paying money to people for growing flowers for two years. And technically, the soil gets a rest, you redevelop got a pheasant somewhere in the background i can hear it so yes pheasant season everybody put your guns down everybody is getting a benefit in the soil who's being paid to do it should the government claim that kind of benefit in terms of carbon saving or something as opposed to the farmer oh no no i'm not i should get that well, hang on a minute you're getting the soil benefit and you're getting paid for doing it so it, the answer to your question is if it's making your yields better for lowering your costs and improving your farming technique, you are already rewarded, is the point. The carbon aspect of it all is the golden thing for the future, isn't it? That is, you lot need to be cute enough to make sure you don't sell yourself early on it. That The first golden egg isn't necessarily yeah, the best. I think so. But I think also with the Lens Project... You know, there's a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes, which, you know, they are going around doing lots of soil sampling. They are doing, you know, they've done DNA monitoring on where we've done this cocoa shell stuff, which is, you know, it's not a cost to us as a farmer. It is genuinely about them trying to understand what is actually really happening. Mm. Are we actually building carbon? Are we storing carbon? You know, what is it? Where are the parameters? 
Well, we're, we're doing some work on that. Do you want to have a word about that, Josh? Yeah, no, we've been doing something for a couple of years. But yeah, I can totally see the value in it. I think there will be a point in not so long where lots of these consumers are looking at their scope three emissions, which will be essentially on-farm emissions. And if you can prove that what you're doing is lower than other standards, I think you'll definitely be paid for it. And I think that's where a real farm benefit will come. And if you can also prove that if you're doing soil testing, that you're improving soil quality and potentially using less pesticides and herbicides, then I think, you know, there's definitely a benefit going down the line. So is that insetting? Um, what's insetting? So difference between offsetting and insetting? <laughs> Far away. <laughs> so obviously within the supply chain, you know, if we are trading carbon within our own supply chain, then that is, as I believe it to be, insetting. If we are selling it off and it's getting used outside of our partners... That's offsetting, that's yeah. That's offsetting. Well, yeah, we're not really necessarily pushing down the carbon route, but we're looking more at how farms look at soil and how you can improve soil organic matter and generally lots of those other things. So um, I think that ultimately it's, it's been led by a big brewer and distiller who is ultimately going to want to reduce their, you know, the carbon they would eventually have to buy by 2030. It's about proof, and knowledge is only gained with measuring what do you measure how do you measure it when do you measure it how scientific is the soil sampling is it all in the same spot every single year on the same date all of those things will have an impact the weather leading up to the day you soil sample is going to have a massive impact should you be judged on your carbon you know that's within the soil one one given year and if that's the case then make sure you get your soil tested before you put your two-year lay in let's put it that way because if all the benefits are there in two years' time and then they measure it, you're going to be like, oh. And then the next time you measure it, you're lower. You'll be probably able to pay someone. Yeah. So it's a dangerous piece of ground to be playing on. But it is the Wild West. And the problem we have at the moment is if we make our motivation to try and get farmers to really understand it's not good to, to sell yourself early on it, the opportunity to be involved in a, a scheme that's truly having an impact correctly is got to be the motivation more than cash yeah. don't just go for the biggest bucks because they're going to pretend to be regen you can join us and we'll give you a load of cash and shh, don't actually do that which is a possibility if we can get someone to do the right thing there's going to be a true value in the measurement of how much energy is used the techniques that have been used the knowledge that's going into whether you should or shouldn't do it depending on weather conditions how deep your cultivation is what variety you're putting in is is that the right variety should you take that out of your mix all of those things are going to come to a place where it's as good as you can possibly get and that proves there's your proof of true efficiency of real carbon gain or benefit you're not spending more than you should do on energy that's our objective it's so many times you see the money go to the people who pay the most money for an advert on telly you know and this is the moment where you've got a very important worldwide everyone interested in trying to get carbon reduced trying to get energy reduced and the farmers have got the key to the process so keep hold of the key otherwise you won't be back in the room is kind of it as a small business how individual farmers like yourself right collectively getting together but it's got to be lots of farmers collectively working together and not be separated by companies who can afford to separate you that's how we see it. I agree. You know, one of our biggest challenges as a small family farm is keeping up to date with everything that's going on from a legislation point of view, as well as making sure that as the weather changes, we're still on top of all our timings. And How do you do that? How do you keep in, in, on top of legislation? You've got a full-time lawyer? It's like... 
we end up, you know, same as everybody else. You take the best advice you, you can afford to buy at the time and that you need the advice and hope that you're covered in the meantime. You're quite modest. I mean, you're, you're a monitor farm, I believe. Just finished, yes. Right, yeah. so being a monitor farm with the AHDB, you stood out there and you've bared your soul to the, to the world. You told everybody what you've done. That gives your fantastic successes and your amazing failures open for everyone to know. So you can walk in the old local and they go, how'd that one go then? Yeah, well, I've already bared my soul, so you just buy me a pint in commiseration. Or, well done, good old boy. You know, so you clearly are trying to educate people as best. If you learn something, you're not keeping it a little secret, are you? You're telling people. I try not to, and I wouldn't like to say I educate people. I'm very much... There are things that I have learned along the way, but there's an awful lot of stuff that I still haven't learned and I've still got, you know, and there's have big skills gaps within some of the other stuff that I'm still trying to learn. And I appreciate that. But And I think until you understand that as a farmer, you need to open yourself up to be able to manage what you've got effectively and more and move forward. That's not just farmers, that's whole of mankind. That's the fact. You don't know it all. You're trying to do the best you can. You have to make a mistake to know it's a mistake because you haven't done it before. My point is to stand up and be the person at the front, allowing everyone on your farm, is ballsy. You know, I've stood up in front of you. We met when we did an education course in in Norwich one day, and we've got loads of guys from all over the country, different aspects of the trade, to tell their story about what they did, to try and give an understanding that it isn't mysterious. There's this guy brokers ships, this guy trades futures and and all that that, and and hopefully it took some of the mist away there's no mystery to it each person has a job a function and they try and buy as cheap as they can and they try and you know they're trying to make a profit each and every one of them quite openly if you understand what their process is you can see why and how they exist to stand there in front of people and try and say look we tried this and it was a mistake let's say you did something wrong another person is going to save money and time and they gained experience from your bad experience that is giving that is a really you know as i say you're being modest it's something that lots of most people are not prepared to do where is the nearest monitor farm now that you've stopped fulfilling uh, so that role? the michael balls has taken over at the crown point okay uh, oh brilliant oh, yeah, of course, yes. yeah no, i know so, that we'll have to go and get old michael on here won't we yeah crown point yeah no good yeah he's a good lad so you've got ben heckled in yeah definitely you know so simon brock's you know teed me up to uh, bear my soul everywhere so now it's my turn to uh, pass the baton on and make sure that Michael does the same. So what other farming groups is there a, a, are you like Fram or AF or do you go to meetings with with other people regularly how does it work? Yeah so I mean we once upon a time we were Fram uh, we changed over to uh, the Norfolk side and, uh, and went to AF and have been with AF now for probably 15 odd years I would think and to be honest it's good to have a buying group that you can, as a sounding board or whatever you want from them, but that doesn't mean it's the be-all and end-all. You know, we have a, a local group that actually came off the back of Brian's monitor farm, mm-hmm. so Brian Barker's monitor farm mm-hmm. experience, and uh, he set up this yield club group, and that is a really positive group for discussing things. You have to like-minded. again be very open, don't you? In that? Yeah, like-minded group of farmers that... You know, we can ask questions on there and, and nobody's going to turn around and say, Pfft. Yeah, no, it's... it's if, if there's one amongst you that does, then you can, you know, sort him out with a little chat. You have to be prepared to bear all to learn. 
because yeah. otherwise, you know, there's no, no benefit to it. And sitting there quietly is useful for a few times, but everyone in the end is going to say, look, how do you do it? You seem to have some really good crops yourself. And you, you, you're then obliged to go, well, I use coconut shells, mate. <laughs> I mean, what about if that turns into the best thing ever? We're going to import coconuts, do you think, to be like, you know, to get uh, enough? So cocoa shells as opposed cocoa. to coconut. Oh, beg your pardon. Right. Oops. Yeah. Cocoa. Yeah. Eat more chocolate. Eat more chocolate. Eat more Kit Kat, apparently. Kit Kat, okay. Kit Kat. So, which apparently have two different, you know, barley goes into, into the malt that makes the Kit Kat as well, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we have more of an influence on the, uh, on the sector than we realise sometimes. Barley is an amazing ability to turn up in all sorts of products, you know, as barley syrup. It's, it's quite an ingredient that's, that's magically a, a sugar product that they don't call sugar. Mm. So, yeah, it's a very useful, uh, you know, albeit with this new grow flowers for, for Britain, there'll be a lot less barley in the ground, so there might be a bit less syrup, possibly. Yeah, just out of interest, what was the yield difference on your 105 kilos a hectare compared to 200 compared to also your traditional nitrogens so the interesting thing is the 200 kilos like for like there wasn't a lot of difference you couldn't you struggled to pick them apart but the half rate farm so liquid for half rate for liquid fertilizer versus the half rate cocoa shell fertilizer the cocoa shell fertilizer has come out on top has it? And is it is the protein level higher in the wheat? So the analysis results aren't back on the grain samples yet, but that's all going to come out. You know, we've got there's so many tests that have been done as we've gone through just to try and get to the bottom of it. We've then got another year's worth of testing, so we've got another five ton coming for this next spring. Basically, do this repeat the same, but I would like to do one. So rather than just doing 50% and 100%. I want to put in another one of 75%, which is what we're going to do on the field scale stuff. Because I, you know, there's an opportunity I see as long as the proteins are holding up in the wheat samples, then we should be able to hit like for like yields from what I've seen with the 200 kilos of liquid in. Yeah, that's quite interesting. I mean, it just out of interest, is, is the, are the shells, are they quite a big byproduct? Are they normally a waste product they just get rid of? I believe they're yeah, a waste product that they were paying to dispose in landfill. Interesting. Sounds very interesting. Yeah, that's a win-win, isn't it? So are you going to be putting any of your land down to flowers this year? No. OK, that's good. I'm very delighted to hear that. There's lots of people we've spoken to so far who are. I mean, that as a sum, you know, you look at it, if the price of wheat drops another 10 quid, at what point does it become like, uh, hang on a minute, there is a couple of fields I could just... There must be a point when you think like that. It's got to be... There is, but is wheat the be-all and end-all? No, no, well... And the reason I say that is because for us, one of our most important crops is actually spring barley, spring malting barley. And as long as we're hitting the premiums on that, we can reduce our end requirements considerably by growing a cover in front of it. So from an environmental point of view, we're using less pesticides, Mm -hmm. we're using less end. Yeah. and we're still getting good margins yeah, yeah. because we're, we've got a decent product. We see, you know, Laureate has turned things around as far from our, the way we view spring barley now. You know, spring barley keeps consistently outyielding our winter barley. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, weather permitting and so on. Yeah, if, if, but for our soil type. 
Yeah, no, good. I mean, it, there's good prospect because it is barley land that's coming out for the flowers that are being grown in other, other parts of the country, which means there's going to be less supply of malting barley, which by definition increases the chances of there not being enough because if the weather turns wrong on a smaller crop, there's a smaller available crop for the molster to use. And then he can import stuff from somewhere else and that's been sprayed to hell and who gives a damn? Cheers, Liz Trust. The future, you know, looking... There's a great tendency to be a little pessimistic at the moment i think that's an age thing maybe maybe you disagree how do you see the farm five years time same area all see you know the same rotation what what do you reckon is going to happen don't know if you can guarantee a same rotation because i think markets move and at the end of the day we are in it to make money and Mm -hmm. we're here as a business first and foremost and that's why we've made the investment choices that we have so my viewpoint is very positive Mm -hmm. uh towards the future of farming we've got diversification on farm Mm -hmm. which helps bridge the gap if you like because it takes that pressure off from making a knee-jerk reaction and we can maybe take a slightly longer term view and i think farming you always have to have that slightly longer term view i don't think you can farm for the short term a lot of farmers have taken the view that get off my land applies to everybody all the time so would you describe yourself as lucky that you've got diversification on the farm this is a test of your modesty. Um, yeah. You can say, do you know what, I'm going to help you. No, it's not luck. I went out there and I got it. I went, do you know what, I need to do something because I've got a yard here that's not making any money. We've got animals, it's not making any money. I need to do something. So I went and got some customers. I made the sheds up to spec. I did everything I needed to do. I crossed the T's, dotted the I's, and I got customers into my sheds and they pay me a rent. And you hit the nuts with it. You've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, you're just um, too modest. You need to go, I did that. Yeah. And on the back of that, you've learned that it is always... Dealing with other people is not always wonderful. There's there, some of them, I'm quite sure, are a pain in the butt and don't pay on time and all that sort of stuff, and you get hassled off the same old ones. But one or two of them are fantastic customers, and so it goes. But, you know, expanding further on your diversification, I would expect to be somewhere in the back of your head as well. And that is, for, you know, we have to do that to give ourselves the good opportunity in the background of, of the farm to give ourselves a good solid base yeah because you want to keep farming don't you We want to keep farming because you love farming we yeah i enjoy farming farming's what i enjoy i love going out in the fields and yeah absolutely and, and so sniffing the soil that's <laughs> yeah i'm not sure you sniff it do you? <laughs> kissing it oh you love it it's ready to plant when i've sat my naked butt on it oh we go let's go that's what the norfolk boys love isn't it yes apparently so there's nothing much else to do up there is there we're going to get electricity soon now which football team do you support ah uh, so interesting point is uh, norwich city and which side of the waveney are you uh, suffolk side on so how do you get by with that one I just sneak across the border and uh, just go and, yeah you've had a very long period of happy dominance haven't you how do you feel about December the 14th, 16th? Nervous. <laughs> very, very nervous. I think as a season ticket holder at Norwich, I am worried about the back four and someone running straight at them and then shooting because it seems to <laughs> go in. <laughs> Ipswich have a lot of people who do that. So, yeah, no, I, I think this might be the year where possibly there is a Ipswich victory over Norwich. And maybe they can cling to it, but I have my doubts. Hmm. you going to cope with that? As we always do. Are you going to find out all the Ipswich fans locally who haven't been saying anything for 15 years? Definitely. <laughs> all, my, all my friends will come out. 
you're the wrong side of the river to yeah but there you've had you've had your time I, I don't think it's all over but if Ipswich lose that manager then possibly they'll be back down again so you know there's always there's always hope for an yeah. orange fan driving up here I would say the crops you know we things haven't really got going yet have you got much planted uh no we haven't we haven't got anything planted yet other than oilseed rape and the oilseed rape is growing away really well this year Looks really good. Touch wood. We'll, Flea we'll see if it's still there in January because I don't judge it by pre-Christmas anymore. We can um, wait until yeah. it dies in the spring. Yeah, early basically. spring. We were just before the mics were on. We were discussing slugs. You said this this year's an absolute epic slug year. Yeah, we decided this year that we would chop more than we normally would because we were going to bale a lot more. But when the weather, when we were harvesting the spring barley, the weather was so catchy. We were like, no, nope, we'll just chop it save ourselves the hassle of balers and getting straw stuck in fields and stuff like that. And that is, yeah, on even our very light fields around the farm, uh, we've got slug populations in there that are astronomical, which we've never really seen ever, probably. I think it's quite a widespread thing. I've heard the comment made. I don't know whether I've, there are fields going in. I mean, we've, we've seen some people going this last week and, and packing it down. Mm. So here's hoping. I mean, a lot of people mulch or they do something to try and kill the little buggers before they you know they get a chance but i hope everyone's not the same as that i hope it's you know forgive me for wishing it just on you but it, the, the smaller the area of slugs destroying everything the better yeah we need a good start and we need a good good crop you know we've got less acres of it so we're us poor grain merchants are going to be begging for every drop aren't we yeah yeah and it's going to test ferric phosphate i mean we have applied slug pellets for several years now so this will be our first proper autumn of applying slug pellets that are ferric phosphate rather than metaldehyde. So, with that in mind, would, would you do something different next year? Would you not do the, the chopping like you did? Or? Um, I don't. Yeah, I think possibly we could have bailed a little bit, which would have reduced the the risk on so much of the area. Yeah, but um, equally, that's kind of against the religion that one, isn't it? Yeah, sort of when you're trying to, you know, we've spent years when you're trying to regen, bail regener. Bail everything for, to uh, to uh, go to cows and, and cattle and stuff. Yeah, we, the fields need it, and and we see the fields that have had chopped straw over the last few years. Sort of when we keep getting these dry springs, they're the fields that just hang on just that little bit longer. Yeah, and sometimes it, that's all that counts. Which is, but this is another one of those little lessons, isn't it, about yeah. regen that possibly. Maybe it's just the conditions this year and, the, and it's absolutely ripe for them and the slugs, I don't know, yeah. when they reproduce their millions of little baby slugs, but maybe it was just perfect this year and it won't be, you know, the wet August or whenever it yeah. was that, that it happened. But but it's getting it to work in UK conditions is always slightly trickier than, you know, nobody's got that experience and, you know, we're still trying to drill stuff on narrow rows compared to the rest of the world, so... Well, I mean, have you read the book Dirt to Soil? Audio. OK. Yeah, because the guy lives in North Dakota where eight months of the year it's frozen and it's like oh, eight months, six months a year but the point is in that period in between the two the frost kills everything Yeah. so he can wake up in the spring and go hey babe let's go, let's go plant and you don't need to use no pesticides out here just go out there, great, good on you it's bare soil and it's like yeah, easy whereas with, yeah it's just not the same here is it, it's not, not bare not, soil and, and let's be blunt, this is what day is it today 25th of September, and it's, what, 22 degrees? Mm. And we're standing in the shade, it's too high outside, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's mad. Just bonkers, isn't it? And that's, again, these autumns keep rolling like this, you know. We like to say that, you know, we try not to use insecticides, but with these mild autumns, aphids are going to keep breeding, aren't they? We've got 
perfect conditions for them. We want lots of insects, apparently. But yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, maybe we'll just be. We spring. want the right ones, I think. The, <laughs> the ones to identify properly. Yeah. yeah, we've got a lot of that. Anyway, Richard, I think it's very kind of you to let us come down here today and just like, you know, poach your ideas how your, your autumn is going and uh, you know you discussed your slugs it's very open I'm sure everyone's going oh I haven't got that problem he 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 or I bailed it but you know I think what you're doing is great I think educating people is a generous thing to do the right thing to do I hope Michael does the same as you and you can go up there and learn off his mistakes but no well done and thank you so much for letting us see you today and for coming on the podcast oh you're welcome thanks thanks thank you very much for listening make sure you subscribe to get updates on new episodes and when they are released and follow us on twitter and instagram we are at dewing grain call dewing grain on 01263 731 550 or email info at dewing the dewing grain podcast is produced by east coast design studio in norwich 